Here come the Astros, burning with desire. Here come the Astros, breathing orange fire. Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Robert alongside my usual co-host, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, I tell you what, is there any question anymore who the greatest Astro of all time is? I think it's uh, Jose Altuve's firmly got that grip on that. I just tweeted out, Robert, I literally love you, Jose Altuve. I'm sure millions of others did the same thing because, look, you know, this this guy has been through some tough times with the Astros in 2015 when they had that surprise season. He was so upset after the postseason when they lost to Kansas City. I mean, just, you know, Bregman's great. Correa's great. Done some great things. Springer's done some great things. But Altuve is Altuve. He is the one. It, it just You couldn't want it to happen to a better person, a better player than Jose Altuve after what he has endured with this Astros team and how he helped them in 2017. This, to me, is just the pinnacle. And, yeah, the World Series, we we haven't even started the World Series yet. But, yeah, right now, right here, he has to be the greatest Astro of all time. Yeah, I mean, I thought it would take, you know, 20, 30 years before we would be talking anybody that would replace Craig Biggio. Craig Biggio, it seemed like, was firmly in that position. But... With what Altuve has done in just the last, you know, nine years as an Astro, taking the team to two World Series, but more importantly, he has been clutch. This postseason, we can talk about Bregman struggling with runners in scoring position and Springer's struggles and Jordan Alvarez going into the tank and Yuli, you know, until this game, this game six, you know, he was only seven for 35 and all the guys, one after the other. Correa struggling some offensively, even though he had the two big home runs. But, I mean, Jose Altuve, not struggling. Not ever struggling in the postseason. He has been the most consistent Astro offensively. And I, I just I take a, took a look at Araldis Chapman's numbers against uh, some of the different Astros that were coming up to the plate and noticed immediately in the regular season anyway that Jose Altuve against Araldis Chapman was two for six. I'm like, two for six. He got a couple of hits off of him. That's 333. That's that's pretty darn good against Araldis Chapman. Altuve could tire, retire right now and not do a single thing more after this season. And I'd say he's not only the greatest Astro of all time, but he is a lock for Cooperstown if he wasn't already. I mean, you, you just said it, Robert. He does it in the clutch. And with all due respect to Craig Biggio and some of the others, you know, that have gone before, you know, obviously they they haven't had the opportunities that this Astros team has had to be in the clutch, to be in, in the World Series. But you can't penalize Altuve for that because he's had those opportunities. Well, B- Biggio and Bagwell, they, they were pl- in the playoffs plenty, you know. They were in the playoffs plenty, but what I'm saying is, and, and they had their chances there, but they never got deep enough 
to get to the World Series, except, of course. Yeah, well, that's the problem. That's the problem, Stephen. They they didn't get deep enough and they, because they weren't they didn't hit in the clutch in, in, in these division series and the championship series. They they couldn't do it. Altuve has done it. He has hit when it matters. And that's the difference. And, and that's what really separates the great players from everybody else. It's not about how many hits you have, even if it's 3,000. It's not about how many homers you have, whether it's 400, 500, 600. It's what you do when you have those opportunities to come through in the postseason, whether it's the ALDS, the ALCS, the World Series. You know, that's what I'm saying. You know, that, that he, he is separate from every single Astro that has come across in the last 50-something years the club's been around. Yeah, I mean, the guys, we've seen Astros have their chances. I mean, Berkman was the most clutch Astro in, until this group of guys, until the last decade. He he was the the standard, or, or Terry Poole, if you want to go back to the 80s. But Berkman would also give you the power in the OPS in the postseason with a 900-plus OPS over the course of his postseason uh, entire career. But yeah, Altuve... It just, it's been remarkable what he's been able to do in big situations. And, you know, I mean, this was a game that, I mean, we have so many moments to get to, but, you know, let's, let's go through the game a little bit. Now I'll start off with Yuli's three run home run. And that was his third three run home run in his postseason career. We talked about it the last podcast. We said, Yuli, you know, he's hitting, hitting the ball hard, but it's not happening for him. And, you know, they stayed, uh, Hinch stayed positive about him. He kept the trust in, in Yuli and it paid off, you know, that, that third three run home run in his postseason career tied him for second in postseason history with five other players. The only player with more, um, Manny steroid Ramirez had four. And then also entering game six, the Astros were 88 and two this season when leading by three or more runs, the best mark in major league baseball, they were a perfect 50 and 0 at home. Stephen, if I would have just taken a nap afterwards, we could have just, you know, right after the home run, we, we were fine. We just taken a nap, game over with, <laughs> Astros up by three. Yeah, but you know what, Robert? Houston teams just don't seem to know how to make things easy, do they? Uh, it's just, you, you think you have it sewn up, and, you, you know, but, but of course, you know, with only a two run lead going into the ninth inning, whether it's Osuna or anybody, a two-run lead is not insurmountable. But the Yankees come back and they tie it. And, you know, as disgusted as I'm sure a lot of us were when that happened, when you saw the heart of the Astros lineup coming up, you just had that little ray of hope that somebody was going to come through and win this thing. Because, you know, if it went to extra innings, the Astros' bullpen was pretty much stretched out. I think they had Brian Abreu and I believe Hector Rondon, and that was it. You you really, really wanted somebody to come through in the clutch in the ninth inning. And that's when it happened. And that's when Altuve did. Well, we got to talk about some major moves leading up to this Altuve home run. And just I want to get your thoughts as it was happening. You know, A.J. Hinch, it, it has been custom for him to take out Michael Brantley late in games for Jake Marisnik. And they talked about it in the broadcast, in the television broadcast, that you know, Brantley was like, what can I do to be out there late in games? And, you know, Brantley was, you know, trying desperately to convince Hinch, according to, you know, their conversations with Hinch uh, prior to this game. But I, I guess the thing was, Michael Brantley 
made the spectacular defensive play. He was doing it defensively on in this game. He made the play of the game, and still Hinch took him out. And Aaron Boone, I, I don't, I wouldn't have pitched to Altuve right there. I mean, thank you, Aaron Boone, for that because Jake Bariznik <laughs> was on deck, and and I, I get a little bit frustrated at times because I think AJ Hinch thinks game over, and somehow Jake Bariznik is going to make this extraordinary defensive play in the last inning or two. That that type of thing very rarely happens. The difference between Jake Marisnik and and George Springer, and, and I've talked about this before on the podcast. It, it's it, there's a difference, but it's a slight difference. And I get it. George Springer is also a little bit better right fielder than Josh Reddick, but still, I mean, it, it's just not enough to me to take out one of your best hitters. Michael Brantley has turned it around. It seems like over the last few games is is got his offense going. And he's your protection in that order for Jose Altuve, who is your best hitter in the playoffs and taking Michael Brantley out there. I was like, yeah, I don't know about that. We, we, I was, I had a friend over at, at my place and, and we were talking about that. We, we just weren't sure about that decision. Yeah. And I think that, you know, if, if Altuve hadn't hit that homer, Marisnik was going to be up next. And, you know, Marisnik is a great defensive player. I mean, I'm sure he would have made that headlong dive play, but I don't know if he could have thrown Judge out at first at first base like Brantley did. And honestly, I didn't know Bradley uh, Brantley had that kind of arm. I, I mean, his glove work is is underrated, but he fired a cannon when he made that play. And I think it was not only the defensive play of the game. I really think that at the time it came, with the significance of it, that it was the play of the series defensively anyway, just because of when it happened and how important it was in this game. So. Yeah, it, it was definitely a risk. You take risk when you make moves like that. Fortunately, you didn't have to see Marisnik come to bat. You know, Al- Altuve ended it. But, yeah, it could have happened that way and very well could have gone to extra innings as a result of it. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, when we were the podcast, we got the podcast tonight. Okay, what what are one some of my observations? I thought, for the most part, A.J. Hinch managed this pitching staff extraordinarily well, and I was going to give – Hinch some credit, but again, I'm like that Brantley move could have totally backfired. If again, if I'm Aaron Boone, I walk Jose Altuve there. I make Jake Marisnik beat me. Um, Yeah. You're putting the game winning run on second base, but it's Jake Marisnik batting as opposed to Jose Altuve. That there's a big difference that Aaron, uh, the uh, I'm sorry, the Aaron judge play where he gets doubled off of first base. Number one, I didn't know. I didn't know why he was, so far off first base, he's not the game tying run. He he would have made it four to three. So I don't know what he's doing that far off. You know, you you take the half or three quarter uh, over there to second base, but he was much further off than he should have be should be. The second thing is when I was watching the play happen, I'm just looking at that going. Come on, Michael Brantley, speed it up. Speed. I, it was like he was running in slow motion. It was like a, it's like Baywatch where they're they're running in slow motion at the beginning of it and yep. at the beginning of the show. And and I'm like, come on, Michael, you can get there. You can get there. And he just like dives. And it, it was was it the prettiest dive in the world? But he somehow makes the catch. But that's how Brantley does it, though. He, I think, someone on the broadcast describing is is sneaky, like a cat almost. He just it looks like he's not going to quite get there. But it's just his instincts of getting to the ball. But, yeah, it is like going in slow motion, and you think, he's not going to make it. He's not going to make it. He's not going to, oh, he made it. He dives. So it's it's just a it, – it's 
it's kind of strange how he gets to those balls, but boy, it couldn't have come at a bigger time. Yeah, three huge defensive plays in three consecutive innings. The Reddick diving catch, uh, which was massive, and, and that helped Jose Arquiti get out with no more than that one home run. And Arquiti, I thought, was masterful as, as Arquiti could be in those couple of innings. Yeah, he gave up the home run, but I, I thought that was a pretty good pitch that he threw. Uh, he went away from his fastball a little bit after that. He was throwing too many fastballs. Uh, when he went to the changeup, when he went to more off-speed pitch pitches, I think that benefited him. I, I think his fastball was being timed up by the Yankees, and he just doesn't have one of those plus fastballs like a lot of the guys coming out of either bullpen in this series. Also, you know, after the you had him in the sixth inning, you had Brantley in the seventh inning, and then you had that Altuve and Correa double play where – uh, you know, they, they made that look a lot easier than it could have been. But three consecutive innings and you thought, wow. I mean, you, you kind of got yourself out of it. And then it, it, here comes Roberto Osuna. And let me just tell you, let me just say this, okay? Roberto Osuna, you know how I feel about him, Stephen, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No We've com- talked a lot about it. No confidence. Like, no, no, no confidence in, in Roberto Osuna. But Osuna was great against the Yankees all season long throughout his career. He was great in the playoffs and all that, but I still didn't trust him and I still wanted to get more runs. So Osuna comes in in the ninth inning. And one of the things that I'm, as I'm watching before the home run, Osuna is waiting and waiting and you see him like shaking off, shaking off, shaking off Martin Maldonado. Do not shake off Martin Maldonado. He's 4-0 and in the postseason. He was incredible this playoffs. Uh, it's just calling pitches and what he does with Garrett Cole and what he did with the entire staff. And Osuna kept trying to call fastballs. He kept going back to that instead of the off-speed pitch. They, they timed up the fastballs. They, he wasn't going to get them out with fastballs. And sure enough, he throws a fastball and they hit it out of the ballpark. Do not question Martin Maldonado. Yeah, I think sometimes pitchers can be like managers and they they try to overthink or outthink themselves when it comes to calling the right pitches. And it almost seems that way. And yeah, with Osuna, he he tends to do that sometimes, I think. And that's as much a problem for him, perhaps, as the fact that uh, he may not locate his fastball the way he should or any other pitch. So, yeah, I think sometimes he, he probably just overthought that a little too much. You, that's that's where you you should trust your catcher. Let your catcher take the hit if it goes wrong. Um, you know, obviously the pitchers like Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, they're going to know the game inside and out just like the catchers are. And I'm not saying Osuna doesn't know the game, but that's yeah, that's where you trust your catcher there. And you shake off too many signs, then you run the risk of, of basically outguessing yourself. And I think it came, it certainly came back to haunt him and almost cost us the game there. Or cost the Astros the game. Yeah, take, taking people behind the curtain for a second. You and I have discussed, we, we, we kind of want to do a, a preview of the World Series before the game on Tuesday. This is pretty quick turnaround, but we're going we're gonna to try to get something up maybe in the next couple of days. But this is something, as we're talking about Martin Maldonado, even before the preview, I want to ask you. Martin Maldonado is now 4-0 and in the playoffs for the Astros. Robinson Chirinos is not so good so far in the playoffs. Any thought to have Martin Maldonado catching more in the postseason or in the World Series than he has in the rest of the postseason? Because outside of Justin Verlander and and, and his uh, caddy and Robinson Chirinos, 
I, I feel like Martin Maldonado needs to be out there every other game. I think you're right. I mean, you're certainly not going to you're not going to change it with Verlander. But as far as anyone else, yeah, I mean, look at the guy's record and and just how great he is defensively. And and think about it. You know, the Yankees made so many defensive mistakes, and a lot of them were behind the plate. The the past balls, yeah, there were some wild pitches in there. But Gary Sanchez truly struggled in this series, offensively and defensively. And Martin Maldonado, now he's he's not really that much of a better hitter than Torino's, but at the same time, he can come through, and his defense is really a key, and is definitely going to be a key in the World Series when you're talking about a team that that also has great pitching with the Washington Nationals. So, yeah, I'd have to tend to agree with you about that, at least for the most part, of maybe having him some more playing time. He, he, you could say he's not a great hitter, but that was a sweet-looking butt. <laughs> it was a sweet look. I That totally threw me for a loop. I'm like, wait, Martin Maldonado putting down a bunt? Are you kidding me? The Astros hardly ever bunt at all. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to see the big guys do that. But, yeah, that definitely did catch by surprise. It was. A, it's, it's a shame that... They couldn't get something out of that because that was about as pretty as you could see. And you just even hustling down the line. Here's a catcher hustling down the line like he's running a 4340. And he makes it. It's awesome. I tell you what, as I as I saw him put down that butt, it was such a good butt. I thought, can we get him working with Miles Straw? Because if Miles Straw could put butts down like down like that, Miles Straw would bat like a thousand. <laughs> well, I've even said that before. I think if not on this podcast, you know, certainly to other people, and I may have tweeted it out, is that you don't expect guys like Springer or Altuve, Bregman, and those guys to bunt. But some of the guys at the bottom of the lineup, I, ju- I just think the art of bunting has has lost itself in baseball. And in the postseason, small ball is really what's going to get you there. Yeah, there were some home runs, but you're going to manufacture runs more often than not. And bunting in situations like that is so important. And in the case of Maldonado, I mean, who was expecting a bunt like that? No one. The Yankees certainly weren't. (laughs) And that's what helped him. So, yeah, I would agree that maybe there needs to be more of that, especially at the bottom of the lineup, when you've got guys like Maldonado or Torinos or whomever, uh, you know, even Marisnik, if you're putting him in the ninth hole, bunch your way on base, especially Marisnik. With his speed, why not? All right, well, let's talk about some of the other guys that came through. Brad Peacock with a huge start. He becomes the seventh pitcher in postseason history to start a game on no day's rest. It's the first time it's happened in a round other than the World Series. He's also the fourth pitcher to finish a postseason game and then start the next day on no rest. You want to guess the other three guys? You have any guesses? I think I saw it. They are guys that I don't think any of us have ever heard of. They're way back when, right? Like early 1900s. Yeah, it's it's 1924. <laughs> By the way, I love these guys' names. Yeah. I love the names on this. Okay, 1924. We're going to go to Washington Senators. Uh, yeah. there, there was okay. a team before the Nationals, and it was the Senators. Right. And uh, how about this name? Furpo Marbury. F-I-R-P-O. Furpo Marbury. Furpo Marbury. I love it. That's, that's great. I, I, most baseball, like the the harder core, the, the the ones that love the history, know the next guy on the if list. If you're a, if you're an SABR guy, you might know some of these names. But yeah, yeah, this next guy <laughs> because this is the alt, this is the one of the great nicknames in, in baseball history, Mordecai Three Finger Brown. And I've heard that name. I know that name. Yeah, that's 1910 with the Cubs, and then 
of course, I, I'm sure everybody was talking in the in the bar yesterday about Doc White from the 1906 White Sox. Oh yeah, I remember him. I, I think I grew <laughs> up with him. Yeah, I remember Doc White. Yeah, some people think I'm I'm old enough to know Doc White. Not quite. He, he was. We missed each other in, in elementary school, but yeah, uh, some interesting names on that list. But Peacock with the with the big start, and then. I mean, it doesn't get any bigger than Ryan Presley. He comes in to get that big out, um, get Gregorius. But then, God, it was terrible. He, Steven, when he, he lands awkwardly on that surgically repaired knee, and it was like in a split second as I'm watching it, and I saw the facial expression and the way he landed on the knee, I just thought that's probably the last time we're going to see Ryan Presley this offseason. I mean, this uh, postseason. Yeah, it, it, it definitely spelled trouble. And it's just your heart sank when it happened. I mean, he made that great play, but at quite a price. I mean, they've listed him as, as day-to-day for the moment, but I just don't see. I mean, he he had so much trouble coming back from the injury when he came back that, yeah, that that's going to be a very tough loss for the Astros' bullpen if he's not able to go in the World Series. But I tell you, though, he made a play when he really needed a play to be made. Uh, just You just have to hope for the best for him at this point. But as far as Peacock, getting back to him, you know, what really helped him is that he only threw eight pitches in game four. And I I really liked the call of A.J. Hinch going to him to start this game. You knew he wasn't going to give you four, five, six innings. You knew that. I, I thought maybe he could go two innings. He almost did. First inning, you know, he comes out, which is to me, I, I would think, I mean, I've never been a pitcher, certainly not at that level. Uh, but the first inning has got to be the roughest inning of any pitcher coming out, especially in a game like that. But one of the reasons you want Brad Peacock out there in a situation like this, if you're going to do a bullpen game, no no moment's too big for him. He is calm, cool, collected on the mound. He slows his heart rate down. He has experience as a starter, plenty of experience. And he's been in these moments before. He's got that experience too. So I really like the way that A.J. Hinch set it up where Peacock started the game. He gave you a good first inning. He, he kind of wiggled into trouble in the second inning, but you knew he wasn't going to go far. So I, I really applaud him for making that decision, putting Peacock in the opener. And how about the law form of Smith and Harris? I mean, those guys just quietly got it done in the regular season. They're quietly getting it done in the postseason. Will Harris in the postseason, his ERA is a big fat zero and the Bigger than that is the fact that he comes in time after time after time in big situations where you got to get an out. There's two guys on base or three guys on base. And Will Harris handles his business, gets it done. Joe Smith's ERA in the postseason is 2.08 uh, coming into this game six. And, of course, that's that's going down after this game. I'll have to double check on, the, on, his, new, uh, on his new numbers. But, I mean – They were hitting 71 against him in the postseason, 71 against Joe Smith. And Joe Smith's a guy, for the first half of the season, we didn't even see him. We didn't know what we were going to get from Joe Smith this year. Well, that's right. As far as Harris goes, I mean, talk about somebody that has ice water in his veins now. I mean, he he looks about as cool, calm, and collected a customer as you're going to find, too. And with Smith, yeah, you you really rooted for him because he had that that injury and you know, with pitchers, you just you feel like it's going to take them a while to come back from injuries, especially ones like that. Uh, but Joe Smith, I mean, he made an almost immediate impact when he came back in the very limited usage that he got. But as time has gone on, he's just gotten better and better. 
And boy, he comes through when it counts in the postseason. You can't ask for any more than that from him either. Yeah, and, and going back to Arkiti, I mean, he has looked so good late in the year. He's looked good enough in the postseason where, you know, I start saying not only do I trust him in the postseason, I don't mind him being out on the mound. I would like to see AJ get some confidence maybe to to pitch him maybe a little bit more in the postseason. Yeah, he gave up the home run. Like I said, I, I think that home run was just th- that's a great hitter making a great uh, making a great swing on a tough pitch. But I mean, Arkiti somebody that is giving me confidence going forward in the World Series, and he's also giving me some confidence going into next year because the Astros are going to need a fourth and fifth starter. We're assuming Garrett Cole's out the door, and you know Lance McCullers is coming back. We don't know what we're going to get. He's coming off a of Tommy John surgery. Who's going to be the pitchers next year for the Astros? You know, can you trust Wade Miley? You're going to go into another season with him, knowing, you know, maybe by the end of the year he's going to run out of gas again. So, uh, Arkiti, I mean, that's a, it's a big thing not only for this game and a big, you know, obviously a huge deal going into the World Series, but going into next year too. Well, that's right, and you know, it's funny. I was thinking before Game Five started, and even before I saw that uh, Brad Peacock was going to be the opener. The thought crossed my mind, you know, how big does this Wade Miley collapse look now? Because honestly, you know, when the Astros made the trade for Zach Greinke on July 31st, the only trade deadline there is, what was really exciting about it is the fact that we felt, a lot of us, on, you know, you and I on the podcast and so many of the Astros fans and media, we felt that the Astros from one through four had the best rotation in baseball. You know, not just Verlander and Cole, and not just Grinky, but Wade Miley, the way he was pitching. And, you know, what a difference a little time makes is that Miley collapses and that, you you know, he, he didn't even pitch well in the ALDS. He's not even, wasn't even on the ALCS roster. And, you know, so how big was that collapse that you even had to, to think about having a bullpen game in game five when you're up three games to two, you're coming back home, you would have loved to have seen either a Justin Verlander or Garrett Cole close it out on Saturday night, or even a Wade Miley. You could have put him out there, and you would have had utmost confidence in him to close it out. But thankfully for the Astros, they got through the bullpen game. Almost blew it, but they came through. So, But I was thinking about that before the game. Where do you put this game in Astros' lexicon postseason games? I mean, the Astros... For as young a franchise as they are, and, and by a lot of standards, standards, they are a younger franchise, they've had some of the most iconic postseason games in, in baseball history. I mean, if you go back to 1980 in Game 5, 86 in Game 6 in the Billy Hatcher home run game and Jesse Orozco, if you go uh, to 2017, I, I know we all remember Game 5 in the World Series and that back and forth. And, and that, to me, is still the, the Astros' best postseason game but you know as far as pitch for pitch uh this one goes right there with with that game with game six in in 1986 where where do you put it in that ranking well now if you're talking about full games i i still have to say 2017 game five is as just a game of i mean it was there was so much back and forth in that game that you had no idea what was going to happen i think as far as tonight goes with the roller coaster aspect, I mean, yeah, it, it's definitely up there. 
Um, yeah, the 80 game and, of course, the 86 game, you know, they eventually were losses, but they were still great games, honestly. I know that 86 game, I remember, I think, I don't remember what inning it was. It might have been the 13th or the 14th inning. I honestly had to turn the game off for an inning or two. I just couldn't take it. I just couldn't take it. Now, I did put it back on and, of course, watch them fall short, but I just about couldn't watch that game in 1986 when the Mets did go on to win. Um, I wouldn't have done that tonight. <laughs> I don't think there's any way I could have done that. I would have kicked myself. But, yeah, I, I just think in, in terms of games, I'd say 2017 would be first. The Game 5 in the World Series. This one, I'd have to put that second. I, I At this point, you know, we haven't had a lot of time to think about it and let it sink in. But, yeah, I'd say this would probably be number two just from where it is and where it got us, where it got the Astros. Yeah, I'm with you. I, at 86, I remember turning that game off, too, at some point in the extra innings. And I tell you what, Stephen, when I was watching this game, I, my heart rate was not going up much. I, I was very calm. And you, it makes a big difference after you win a World Series just two years ago to watch a game. And you get to enjoy it a little bit more. You're like, well, no matter what happens, we got that World Series a couple of years ago. And, and it's a little bit more enjoyable when you can actually – just kind of sit there and, and, and calmly watch. For me, it was easier anyway than 2017. All right, wait, when were you calm? Tell me, tell me exactly when you were calm here. I want to know that. Were, were you, most <laughs> were of the you game. calm after the, after the Osuna home run? Most of the game, most of the game, I, I, the Osuna home run, I guess because I was just expecting it. <laughs> it didn't, well, it didn't. Cause I will tell you right now when he, when LeMay, hit that home run, I slammed my fist down on the table, and I, I didn't curse, but I came pretty darn close. <laughs> That's about as close as that darn blast, you know, that kind of stuff. Because I just couldn't believe – I mean, I guess in a way I expected, especially when he got a runner on base, I kind of thought, uh-oh, here it comes. Please don't. No, 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 no. But, yeah, I have to admit, I, I think most of the game I was pretty calm too. But when that happened, yeah, I wasn't very calm. Anything else that uh, you got from from this game or the just uh, the Yankee series in general, big picture? What are you thinking about? Well, I'm thinking about, you know, that the Astros, they at least have a couple of days of rest. They do have Garrett Cole available in game one. And I know we'll get into the World Series preview at some point. But I, I do feel a little better about going into game one than I would have if the Astros had lost game six. They had to pitch goal for, uh, Cole for game seven. And then you come back with Grinky for game one. You know, it might be okay. It might not. But with Cole, now you have him for game one. You know, the Nationals are certainly going to bring it with their own pitching. So it'll be interesting. And we'll have at least a couple of days to think about that. But before we close this out, Robert, I've got to do this. You broke out your Johnny Cash Cole train at the end of the ALDS. So I'm going to bring out. My best John Sterling impression, the New York Yankees broadcaster, and turn the tables on him. So here we go. Astros win. Astros win. The Astros win. There you go. <laughs> World Series bound, baby. Turning the table on the, on John Sterling. That's pretty good. Uh, I, I, I want to do a quick shout out. I got a friend of mine. Brian is listening to the podcast in Memphis, uh, Tennessee, and he's a guy that, you know, I go back with him. I, I've known him since he was born. And we, he's about seven years younger than me, and our families were really close. And 
and he really appreciates uh, the fact that we've been doing the podcast uh, during the postseason. And just a quick shout out to him. I mean, we we went to Disney World as families together when we were kids, and we went on trips to Florida and went to Tennessee and the World's Fair back when there was a su- such thing as a World's Fair. I don't even know if they do that anymore, but uh, just I want to say hey to him. I want to say hey to all the people out there that have been listening to us through this run. If you have friends or family that aren't listening to us, you know, I, I hope maybe uh, you could add them to the party. Let them know that uh, this is the place to go for your Astros post game. We're doing it almost every single game, trying to at least, and we're going to continue to do that through the World Series. Also, uh, if you like the show, if you like what we're doing, if you appreciate it, you know, it, it, it's not making us any money or anything like that. We're losing a lot of money over the course of the years have been do- that we've been doing this show. If you want to, if you feel like it, you know, no, no, no big deal, but uh, just go to our website, HoustonSportsTalk.net. There's a little donate button there um, on the front page. Uh, look for that donate button. It's real easy to do. We're not going to send you emails or flyers or whatever. It's, you know, it's, we're not trying to get your information. It's just there if you, in case you want to give a dollar to a cup of coffee worth the you know, thank you to us for, for doing the show. We'd appreciate that. And we're going to have the Texans post game just a few hours. So maybe by the time you hear this, we might be in the middle of recording the test Texans post game. I don't know, but it's going to be up on Sunday afternoon. So we're looking forward to that when it's a massive game for the Texans against the Colts. If they win that game, Steven, that, that puts them in control of the AFC South in, in a lot of ways. I mean, that they'll, they'll be in, in control and with now an injured Pat Mahomes for a few games, we don't know how long he's going to be out. They got a chance to, you know, maybe make a run at the number two seed. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is a wonderful spot for the Texans to be in. They've just got to go and take advantage of it. They've got to stop T.Y. Hilton, their favorite wide receiver, <laughs> who just seems to uh, be at home with the Texans, whether they're in Indy or at NRG Stadium. But yeah, what a big one that would be for the Texans to put themselves at five and two. And That would also, Robert, cap off a third straight weekend of awesome Houston sports, wouldn't it? Oh, my goodness. This has been so much fun this last few years. It's just such a joy to to watch Deshaun Watson play and DeAndre Hopkins and all these guys with the Astros and J.J. Watt and, you know, Russell Westbrook. We're going to get to see him this year. And having seen James Harden and Chris Paul with his – magic passes and I mean it's one guy after another one star after another and they're supporting each other JJ Watts tweeting about the Astros and you know the Bill O'Brien even is saying go Astros at his press conference but the players more important than the coaches the players supporting the other players and showing up at Astros games and you saw Tillman Fertitta in the front row at the Astros game tonight how about that so no that's great uh, so yeah it's you know you you've got everybody's supporting everybody and just, you know, that it's such a nice time to be in the city of Houston. If you're a Houston sports fan, because this this is, this is the golden age. As I continue to say, not just because we're doing this podcast, but uh, because this is just uh, incredible. Some of the talent that we're seeing and uh, extraordinary games like this. And, you know, all the games that we saw back in 2017, uh, it's been one hell of a run And, and Garrett Cole, I should mention, uh, the, the the magical stuff that he's done throughout this postseason. The, it's amazing that the Astros won this series with Garrett Cole only pitching one game, too. That That's pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, Astros 
win it. They take it on a Jose Altuve walk-off. You can't get better than that. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you again, oh, just in a few hours. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.